0: I'm going to go ahead and take this thing up here because I'm going to need it. (laughs) Uh, Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers, potential fathers, old fathers. Um, Do fathers really matter? Sometimes in our culture, you kind of get the idea that they don't. Um, But let me give you a few statistics before we jump into today's message about how much dads really do matter. When you take a father out of the equation, here's some of the stats that happens to children. Um, 71% of all high school dropouts are fatherless children. Um, You're twice as much to be incarcerated if you do not have a dad. There was a study done in 1988 about a psychiatric hospital in New Orleans where 80% of the um, youth patients admitted into the hospital for psychiatric problems. 80% of them were from fatherless homes. Uh, there's greater drug abuse, earlier sex, and um, 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. So yes, dads, you do matter. play a very important role. And in conjunction with that, we're going to continue with our um, series on box office wisdom, where we're basically looking at what the culture is telling us, the messages and themes that the media is presenting to us, kind of isolating the main idea, looking at it, and comparing it and contrasting it to Scripture and what God says. All right, so we're going to use the movie That's My Boy. Uh, first of all, let me explain to you, do, I do not encourage you to see this movie. Um, I went and saw it over the weekend, and I'm kind of uh, sorry to admit that now. And uh, it's not your typical Adam Sandler movie. It's, it's very twisted, I will just tell you that. So I cannot, I, I even opted to not show the trailer today, because I don't want to promote it in any way whatsoever. Okay, it's a very twisted movie. But um, the theme of the movie, the chief aim of man is to have fun and party. And this is a real current theme you find in lots of different movies. The hangover franchises, you know, promotes this idea. And basically, in these movies, you see the party without the consequences. The screenwriter can go ahead and just kind of change the outcomes of really poor decision making and make it be good all in the end. And that's kind of what That's My Boy does. Um, What you find is that the truth of life is is that we want reality to go a certain way. We want it to go the way we want it to go. But it really goes one way. It goes God's way. And we we can't fight reality. Our culture is kind of like a, a strong current pulling us against reality. And um, it's really hard sometimes to discern the right path to choose. So, in order for box office wisdom to be true, it has to be real. In order for it to be real, it has to be God's wisdom. And and what wisdom really is, it's kind of a way of of looking at a situation in life and understanding the natural flow of life that God's created and knowing how to make the right decision for that flow. And the Bible really is a roadmap for that. A lot of times you look at the Bible and you see a lot of do's and don'ts and do this, don't do that. And you feel like God's just trying to like, he's the man trying to keep us down, you know. He's a buzzkill. He's killing the party. When really what he's trying to do is he's trying to be the gracious, loving father and say, I am trying to give you the best chance for the best life possible in conjunction with the way reality works. Now, if you dig more into the Scriptures, you find out that the way reality works now is broken. And today is not a message about that. So if you're interested in that, you can ask me or someone later. But it's broken, and that's part of what Jesus came to do is to redeem us, to reconnect us to God, and to help repair reality and it's a great story and it's a great truth so what you find is you have Adam Sandler here he's a dad he um, he basically impregnates his junior high math teacher and uh, and she ends up going to prison and he raises his boy from a teenager on and the boy of course leaves home when he's 18 Adam Sandler becomes this world-famous like every guy's dream person you know who gets to sleep with his teacher, okay? There's no children in here, right? Okay, so we can talk freely about this. And uh, he's this celebrity partier, okay? And he continues his whole life that way. And he's what the Bible calls the fun way fool. The Bible has different ways when he uses the word fool. It has different words that describe what that really means. And this is the Hebrew word sackle. It's a fun way It's blind desire, it's impulsiveness, it's, you know, no thought of consequences. And in the movie, it really works out for him. He actually has to teach his son to be more like him. And it works out for the son in the end. But in reality, what we find out is that this person ends up extremely beat up by life. And as a recovering sackle, I can attest that you do end up beat up by life. And thank God I'm a recovering sackle early in. Because as life goes on, the consequences get worse. So, (laughs) your attitude towards God as fathers really can make an impact in your children's life. Your attitude towards God can also harm your children's life if it's the wrong attitude. We have the ability to set up I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to hold my notes because I don't have good vision. Ultimately. But um, Deuteronomy 5.29 says this, oh that, oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, so that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This passage really shows God's heart for families. Um, this is what I was talking about earlier about, you know, God's really trying to help us. He's not trying to be a buzzkill. He gives these commandments so that it might go well with them and their children forever. He really is concerned about what's good for us. Um, You realize that if you're taking God seriously, you stay within the boundaries of life that he set for you, that life goes better for you. And this attitude really can bless your children and your family. Um... Basically, let's let's talk then about how to leverage this example. Okay? There's three main points, and I want you to write in your little outline. On your outline, you have here, you have what is he saying, and then you have what do I need to do differently in response to today's message, and then how will I go about accomplishing this goal. So, on the what is he saying, we'll get to the other two at the end of the service. But what is he saying? I want you to write down three words kind of across the top here, right? I want you to write down B like as to be or not to be, be. not a bee that stings. Um, And what's the other one? I want you to write down coach, and then I want you to write down motivate. Then underneath each one of those, as I'm talking, I want you to write down little notes or segments that help you kind of understand what we're talking about today. So the way to really leverage this example in life is there's three ways. There is, uh, to set the right example... To explain as you live and to create an encouraging atmosphere. And we're going to talk about it setting the right example first. In Deuteronomy 5.6 it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Your heart is shown, men, by what you sacrifice. What you sacrifice for, the behaviors you have around home. The way you treat people. You know, I heard this guy once say that you can really tell someone's character by how they value people, by the way they treat waiters and waitresses. Your Kids pay attention to that stuff. I'm not mad at anybody who's mistreated a waiter and waitress. I have also. But I'm just showing it. A pattern over time of how you uh, treat waiters and waitresses really shows how do you value people. Because these people are paid to serve you. You don't have to be kind to them to get what you want. Your children, men. You know how some people can read lips? Your children can read hearts. They really can tell if you're full of it. Your lips, what you say is not enough. You have to become the person you want your child to be. I remember when I was first married, and I was talking to one of my mentors about, I'm really thinking about having kids, but I feel like there's a lot of wisdom I still have to learn in life. I still have to learn a lot of this and a lot of this so that I can really teach them this. And he just kind of stopped me and said, what are you talking about? I was like, well, I want to have, I want to understand like certain things. I want to be able to explain things. And he's like, you need to become those things. If you want your child to grow up knowing who God is and understanding the flow of life, you need to become the things you want to teach them. And that's the first and most important step in showing them. Now, there is some explaining, but first you have to be the example. Um, you can't fake it. We need to be growing constantly as men in our faith. And this applies to women, too. I mean, this applies to all of you. There's this concept in, um, if you're trying to teach anything in life, it's study, do, and then teach. A lot of times we kind of have this mindset of we study, then we teach. Or we just teach. That's how I... I'll figure it out later if I was right or not. But we study, then we do it, then we teach it kind of like being a piano teacher. You don't find too many piano teachers who don't know how to play piano, right? They usually know how to play piano. You don't... Well, anyways, we don't have to go on with all the examples. Things you rejoice over. Things you do repeatedly. The way you treat your wife. The way you use your time. The way you treat them when you're tired. What you spend your money on. These are all things that expose your heart. These are all things that really show what you're really made of. So the next the next example the next way to leverage the power of example is to explain as you live. Deuteronomy six, seven through eight says, You shall teach them diligently. And this is the coach segment for my little graph or whatever I told you to write down. You shall teach them diligently. To your children. Them means wisdom, how to live. And shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. As you and your children. Okay, that's the verse. Um, As you and your children live, you can talk about God's ways. This is actually probably after you become. After you're working on becoming the person that you're trying to teach your kids to become, and I don't mean, let let me back up for a minute. Let me clarify. I don't mean you need to wait until you become all that you can be for God before you start parenting and before you start teaching your kids. I mean you're working on it. There's a willingness to say, I'm going to dig in into life. I'm going to dig into the scriptures. I'm going to face the harsh reality of who I am, and I'm going to start working on things. I'm going to start growing So I guess to kind of wrap up the whole set the example is is just be willing to start growing in your faith. Start growing in your wisdom of how life works and how wisdom works. And if you're not a person who follows God, and you're welcome here if you're not. You're welcome here as long as you want to come to investigate what we're talking about. Begin to at least just investigate the truth of Scripture. Look at Start to listen to the sermons when Josh is preaching on Sunday. Start to read the Scriptures. See if it really matches up to how you've experienced life. One of the biggest growth areas of my faith has been as I've been aging and seeing how deep and how wise the Scriptures really are and how they really explain life. They nail life. For lack of a better word. So, you're working on becoming. And, and here's kind of where I see a big crux also in parenting, is explaining as you live it. Now, the, the, if you look at the scripture scriptures actually put a lot of the teaching burden on children, on men. Now, women have played a big role in that too. But a lot of the actual teaching burden is laid upon. And so an example of explaining as you go is looking for those teachable moments. Now, I'll warn you, this is going to take the most time in parenting. This is going to take you having a relationship with your kids, actually knowing what's going on in their life, actually walking beside them, and actually having time to sit down with them and debrief situations. It's kind of like a coach, and that's why I called it coach. Is uh, You're coaching your children on how to live life. Now, you can kind of imagine, you know, my son, he's played soccer and baseball. And, you know, his coach, they'll be talking about the game. They're like, okay, Luke, remember last week how we, you know, practiced this? And we, you know, we worked on our corner kicks, and we have our stack play. And then you're going to kick the ball here. And then so-and-so is going to guard the post here and do this and that and that. And, you know, he'll be like, yeah, I remember how we practiced it. He's like, okay, go do it now. And then if, you know, then after it's done, after the game, they'll be like, okay, let's talk about how that went, Okay. Maybe next time you should probably kick it this way, but good job, you know, good job. Good try. You really tried it. Next time we'll get it a little bit better. Or if they nail it, you like you nailed it. You know. And that really is how life is to be with our kids. Those are the kind of conversations we need to be having. And and one of the, let let me tell you a tip, and sometimes this actually drives me and my wife a little crazy. My kids aren't in here so I can say this. But um, if you... Have an atmosphere of communication with your kids, which I honestly don't know how you do. I think we can talk about that in a private conversation about ideas on how to develop that. But I think part of it is just showing that you're available to them to talk to them about life. And you actually like talking to them about life. But every time, when we, my wife says when she picks up the kids and they're driving home from school, the whole ride home, all she hears about is every little thing that happened in the day, and they want feedback on it. And it's great. It's, it's great. I'm so incredibly thankful for that. But it's also exhausting. Because you've just finished a really hard day of work. And then when I get home, they want to talk about, well, so-so said this, and so-so said this, and what should I do? And sometimes I'm just like, I don't really care. I just want to watch Lost. Lost. You know, but it's it's those moments that are so important and valuable because they're actually asking and when someone is asking they really want to know and you have to buy up those opportunities now setting a culture that allows for that is an atmosphere of acceptance I mean believe me you still toe the line of discipline but acceptance of being able to talk about that kind of stuff is, is, is a difficult task. And as my kids age, my kids are only 10 and 12, so as they get into the teenage years, we'll see what happens. I have no claims that I am an expert at, at this. It's easy at 10 and 12, okay, for those of you that have raised teenagers. Um, the biggest thing that I'm trying to pull off in this segment with my kids Every time we're talking is I'm trying to get them to understand the idea that God is real. He's not just true, He's real. He actually is involved in everyday life. And I want them to understand the decisions that they have to make. You know, there's the natural decision, and then there's God's ways. And I want them to be able to see the difference. And to be able to then make the right choice. Know what's right or wrong. Know what's appropriate and not appropriate. Have situational wisdom, which is, as the Scripture calls it, far greater than any treasures or gold or rubies or anything. And I think we all have lived long enough to understand that. Whether you believe in God or not, situational wisdom is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Knowing how to act and what to say in the right situation. And we really, really, really really have an opportunity to help our kids grow. Sometimes we kind of get this idea that, well, as long as we create an atmosphere of love and all that stuff and we give them soccer and school and we'll let the school take care of their education which, you know, I understand. I let the school take care of education too and, you know, then we get them up to 18 and then they kind of figure out life on their own. You know, our kids will come to their own conclusions about how life works. Kids will figure out, kids need to have the opportunity to figure out who God is for themselves. And yes, they do. But if you've had like a really special uncle in their life, or if you had a really special friend to you, wouldn't you want to introduce them your kids to them? If your parent, the kid's grandparent, is a great person that you want around your kid, wouldn't you want them to... As much time with that grandparent? It's the same with God. If God is important to you and special to you, don't you want to introduce your kid to God and how life really works? Because our culture is going to give them an idea of who God is. Our culture is going to give them advice on situational wisdom. And like I said earlier, it is going to drag and pull against reality. All right, the last part is motivate. This is creating an encouraging atmosphere. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, do not make your children angry, but give them training in the teaching and fear of the Lord. What you say and how you say it creates an atmosphere, a certain type of atmosphere. And believe me, I am guilty. This is one of the areas in parenting that I really struggle with. What I say and how I say it. My kids lately, okay, this is this is a joke, but I'm sure it's not funny to my family. It's a joke, but it's kind of an ongoing joke that we all kind of laugh about uncomfortably in our household. But I guess I'm really critical of food. Or I am really critical of food. I'm going to confess a little bit here to you. And my son recently has really called me on. He's like, Dad, there's this red cake that my wife makes. And it's from my childhood. My mom made it, and now my wife makes it. And it's it's a hard cake to make. And I've had the tendency of being like, well, it's almost like my mom's. And one day my son told my wife, he's like, Mom, you better do a good job on Dad's cake, because he's pretty fussy about it. And then from there, it's just started. The other day, we were eating something, and somebody asked me, how is it? And I said, and I really was thinking, this is really good, but I wanted to go into food critic mode. Well, I think I could use a little bit more of like this or that. And then my son just like, Dad, like what? Like, you're really going to complain about this? And I thought, you know what? i got to stop it. In my mind, it makes sense. My outward, the way I'm talking doesn't make sense. My tone of voice is really important, too. Sometimes I get a really passionate tone of voice. And inside my head, I'm smiling in my head. But I guess I'm yelling. And I don't really know I'm yelling. I'm just excited about what I'm talking about. My wife told me once when we were first dating, she said, stop yelling at me about pie." And it's a joke now, but I had no clue I was yelling at her about pie. I was just passionate and couldn't understand she didn't like banana cream pie. So, the biggest heart here, and I really, I see I really got to start wrapping up here, but the biggest part of this and create an atmosphere of encouraging is, is, and if you walk away with anything in this segment, it's this. Your kids need to know that you like them. They know you love them, or they know you don't love them. If you, Matter of fact, if you think your kids don't love you, or you don't love them, however that comes out, if your kid thinks that you don't love them, please see me after church. And I doubt nobody will come talk to me. But your kids may not think you like them. Like being around them. Like their personality. Like the way they are. Are you a nuisance to them? Are you just bothering them all the time? Do they kind of tiptoe around you? Like, I'm going to go in my room and play my video games. You know, or, or, boy, I'd sure like to help dad change the oil, but, uh, he doesn't really like it when I help him change the oil. And believe me, I'm guilty of that. So you're constantly having to win their hearts. You're constantly having to prove that you like them. I notice and when when I'm if I'm disciplining my son, especially my son, but even my daughter, too much, and and it's appropriate discipline, I need to be doing it. I need to go out, and I need to have fun with them. I need to take them on a special time, have a good time with them. Recently I took my son to Joshua Tree for the weekend. I took my son and daughter. Took them to Joshua Tree for the weekend this winter. And just us, we were camping and Halfway through the trip, he just he just looks at me and he goes, Dad, I love you. And my son has never told me that. And that sounds strange. He 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 responds to I love you all the time. He's kind of a quiet kid, actually, as far as when it goes to feelings. He's pretty quiet. But for the first time, he initiated, Dad, I love you. And I realize he's telling me something. He likes me spending time with Him, doing something that He wants to do. So I have to do more of that. Uh, Three things you can say. I love you. It can be done and you can do it. And God is real. You can kind of encompass those three themes into your relationship with your kids. I love you by what you do and say and how you treat them. You can do it. It can be done, and you can do it, unless it just can't be done. And we need to be realistic with our kids in that. And God is real. That will go a long ways. Um, I have a movie clip here I want to set up for you, just to kind of close our service. This is from 310 to Yuma. Um, in this movie, you have Ben Wade to Russell Crowe. He's a real evil bad guy, okay? Notorious, bank robber, criminal, stagecoach robber, whatever. Then you have Dan Evans. Um, Christian Bale. Dan Evans is a failed farmer. He lost, he hurt his, lost his leg in the Civil War, and he's been struggling ever since. He has a wife and two kids. His oldest son is 14. He's kind of been a weak dad. He's been complacent. He's been weak. He's been, he hasn't really manned up and taken responsibility for his life, and his family. Circumstances have fed into that. He's been given a rough deal, but he's been kind of weak. So there comes a point where this criminal gets captured in the town, Dan Evans gets involved in it, and he's part of the posse that's taken him to the train in that's the 310 to Yuma part. They're going to catch the 310 train in contention to Yuma. It's the prison train. It comes to the end where his gang, the bad guy, Ben Wade's gang, is all trying to rescue. Their, their boss. And they get to the town, and it's like 10 minutes till the train gets there. And basically it's like 30 people to like five marshals. And everybody has decided it's not worth it. We're just going to give them up and bail. Okay? And so that's, that's the scene we're going to see. And Dan Evans is going to be the only person to stand and help walk this guy to the station, okay? Now, let me explain the father-son relationship to you. The son has lost complete respect for his dad. It's apparent through the whole movie. Matter of fact, he's lost so much respect for his dad that he's been fantasizing and reading stories of outlaws and thinking that I am never going to be poor. I am never going to be in the shoes of my dad. I'm going to do whatever it takes to avoid this life and to be this foolish. And so he becomes fascinated with Ben Wade, the bad guy, throughout the whole series. And so his dad's last stand is to win his son's heart back. So he basically accomplishes all three of these. And you'll see it in the clip. He accomplishes, he becomes the person he wants his son to be finally. He sets the example. He coaches his son on how life works. Throughout the whole movie, he's coaching his son, and then third, he's encouraging him. So let's go ahead and watch that. Maybe,
1: right, Maybe, Maybe he's right, Pa. Maybe we should go home. We wanted Doug Potter to give his life for William. away the Red Ants on a Hill. I'll pay the 200 Dan, yeah. right now, and you can walk away. You know, this whole ride, it's been nagging on me. That's what the government gave me for my leg. $198.36, and the funny thing is that, when you think about it, which I have been lately, was they weren't paying me to walk away. Pay me so they can walk away. Don't muddy the past and the present, Dan. No, 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 wait. I'm seeing the world the way it is. If you take him to the train, Paul, I'm going with you. No. Mr. Butterfield's going to take you home. No, I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you are. I'm staying here with you. You're going to hold up in a room across the hall? You're going to wait until we leave? I'll get him to Bisbee. Yeah, and I promise you. I well, I promise me a lot more than that, Butterfield. I want guarantees that Hollander and his boys will never set foot on my land again and that my water's gonna flow. And I expect you to hand my wife 1,000 cash dollars when you see her. You got money to spare. I can deliver that. Just get him on the train. You heard him? I heard him. William, I want you to give this back to your mother. I want you to tell her that help me find what was right. Paul, I can't. I can't just leave you. I want to be a day behind you, William. Unless something happens, and if it does, I need a man at the ranch to run things, protect our family, and I know that you can do that because you've become a fine man, William. we have become a fine man, you've got all the best parts of me. <laughs> we'll see that later And you just remember, as your old man walked them way to that station when nobody else went.
0: I want you to remember that your dad walked way to the station when no one else would. He won his son's heart. He goes on to die, actually. But he changes the course of his son's life from a course of destruction to a course of integrity. A strong character. A man who does what's right in the face of adversity your children will face adversity. They will have to face, they will have to make a choice to do what's right in the face of adversity. And you have a large impact, fathers, on what they'll do. So I encourage you to take this seriously. I'm going to go ahead and invite Cody and the band up um, and invite the ushers. We're going to go ahead and take the offering here shortly. Um, we are completely supported by your giving and we appreciate that. Um, giving is really for those who call this their home. If you're a guest, we'd just like you to not feel any pressure to give and just to relax and enjoy yourself. So remember to put your connection card in the basket at the end of the service. Um, also, if you guys could take a look at those last two questions I put on the notes. Whether you're a man or a woman or single or unmarried or anything, over this next song that we sing or whatnot, or just even later on today, I want you to think about what do I need to do differently in response to today's message? Has God shown you something in your own life that you need to work on? Is it just growing a little more in your faith? Is it taking more time to talk and have a relationship with your children? And do I, how will I go about accomplishing this goal? A lot of times we can identify goals in life but we have no clue how to get that into our lives. And I'm actually finding, although I get that that's the hardest part, coming up with a strategy of actually assimilating a new goal into my life. So how are you going to go about doing this? And will you need help figuring this out? And if you do, please ask for it. So let's continue.
1: You guys can go ahead and come on up. We'll get started as the offering just uh, finishes up.